Welcome in, everybody. It's Hank McCoy. Tim Madura is here with me as well, and Gavin is off working on something. So, it, you know, there will be a lot less awkward silences on the show this week. So that's good. Uh, speaking of awkward, no, that's mean. Uh, we got Rich Johnston with us uh, <laughs> from Bleeding Cool, and uh, we wanted to thank him for uh, for joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, comic journalism, and uh, who better than the preeminent what? comic book journalist? No, in... no, stop, stop, please. <laughs> Don't use the J word in my presence. I, I take particular offense at that, and no, you know I do. I, I know, but I, I, I think you have... Um, the best handle on how to cover comics out there, and and it's oh, okay. uh, you've been around for a while. I want to cover some of that stuff as well, but uh, I've been around for a while. Please don't remind me. Oh my word! Yes. Well, I mean, according to Wikipedia, since at least 1994, Rich. I love it before that. <laughs> yeah, so along those lines, I was basically doing it before we had a web. Right, use that stuff, right? I was coming online before there was a web to write it on, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, uh, Rich, if that makes, if that makes you feel any better... Uh, use Usenet news groups as far as I can see. Hey, uh, apparently I missed the, the call to join. And Gavin's joined us. I guess he's decided not to go to work. So, Gavin, Rich is on the line with us. We were just uh, talking about how he uh, predates the Internet. Well, oh! The web. Predate the web. There was an internet <laughs> okay. before there was a web. Well, there you go. Yeah. Okay. See, in America... Did he explain the difference between no. the two? No. Yeah, but... it was, there were no web pages. It was just long uh, bulletin boards that you used to download and see all these messages and reply to, but there was no actual uh, websites. It was just data. See, in, in, okay. in America, Rich, we lack the nuance to understand the difference. So thank you for, <laughs> for helping it was it was years ago. I, mean, hey, I remember using the first websites, um, uh, Mozilla's first um, uh, browsing thing. It was fantastic. So uh, I was just kind of letting everybody know we're going to talk a little bit about comic journalism, if that's okay with Rich, of course. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it just as long as you know realize I'm not actually one of them. Vile <laughs> feet until they are. <laughs> okay, I want to back up because last week I said that. Rich did not consider himself a comic book journalist, and no, I one don't. of you corrected me. One of you corrected me, and I, I want to just let the record show that I was correct. Okay, fine, <laughs> Gavin. A pat on the back. Here's your participation trophy. That's what we millennials run on. <laughs> That's right. So uh, we're uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that stuff. Um, I, I wanted to start, Rich, really, just by talking about uh, your background in the industry i mean we talked a little bit about it we go back all the way to 94 with the with the bulletin boards and reporting on on uh you know what there was to report on at the time that's right um but it's, it, it, i assume it's gotten easier over the years to report on comics news but how, no, how much, do you, harder. much harder much, much harder can, can you elaborate that's interesting to me because i thought Absolutely. for sure with all the information that's out there it got easier for you oh that's far harder because back then no one cared or knew that any of this thing was important. And so they used to say stuff without worrying. And the uh, mm. PR departments, they had no uh, control over anyone saying anything. And it was fantastic. It's like the Wild West. You used to wander around the place and you'd hear comic book creators talking about their next projects in two years in the future. And you used to pick up stories here and there. People would talk openly about everything they were working on. People they were hating in the industry, all their problems with it, all sorts of people. And no one seemed to care. 
and I used to collate it all up. And it was fantastic. Um, I had about, you know, 200, 300 readers probably back in those days. Um, and it didn't matter as much. But uh, then, you know, everybody else started doing it and it started to get, get a bit bigger. And there these things called web start, websites started to exist. And the uh, PR departments, all these companies decided that maybe actually they should um, care about this Internet thing, which a few of their interns had been messing around with. Um, and and of now, I mean, information is cracked down on so hard. People are so scared to say the tiniest thing. Uh, and, and with good reason. I mean, we've seen people fired off books for saying the most minor of criticisms. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot harder now. Now, one of the things that, that I've noticed in talking to people, um, various persons in the industry, uh, is they you seem to be the person that they want to leak it to if something's going to leak. Why, why do you think that they want to leak it to you over, say, CBR or Newsarama or someone like that? Well, um, maybe they think CBR and Newsarama will tell their bosses. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, but, I, mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, the thing is, I've got a, a long-standing reputation of having, I think, two specific rules, which is I won't use anything anyone tells me without their explicit permission, and I'll never reveal a source. And those two things have done me um, proud. Um, so, yep, yeah, I think people can trust me because I've been doing it for so long, and they know other people they'll talk to and say, who should I send it to? And they'll say, send it to Rich... He, he makes sure that no one else finds out. And so I do get a few things that come that way from very, from specific in, individuals. Sometimes it's even just once. I remember when the whole um, uh, Ike Perlmutter running through the offices of Marvel, tearing down all the Fantastic Four posters and things. I mean, that came to me from a number of Marvel people who have never spoken to me before and have never spoken to me since. But it was like, <laughs> this is just so important. We have to get it out there. I can't risk my job. Rich Johnston, just this once. So, again, so sometimes it's that, that's the reason, because I think people, you know, even if they might not agree with all I do every time, of, every minute of my life, they might actually accept that sometimes that could be useful. Absolutely. And I won't, you know, screw them over. You know, last week uh, I, we talked for about 15 minutes about Bleeding Cool, about the services that, that, that the site does for the industry at large. And I am of the distinct opinion that that it is the most important comic book website on the Internet. What, what I think is best about the site is that it is exactly the criticism that most people give to it. And th this will segue into some things that, that Gavin uh, has some questions about. But uh, when I go... When I when I want to read about anything that I'm passionate about, whether it's comic books or professional wrestling or I mean you name it, anything that I'm a fan of, I want to have fun when I'm investigating it. And there's nothing more fun than reading rumors or reading um, <laughs> speculation or reading you know stuff that that you know could happen or has happened or you know what things that you've heard in a bar. You know, that sort yes, of thing. Absolutely. And I think that's what makes Bleeding Cool so important and well, what you do so important is that it makes comics fun as opposed to some of the other websites that are out there that I don't necessarily want hard comics news all the time. Well, I mean, pe people do like gossip as a species. Uh, humanity uh, thrives on it to some degree. Um, it does all sorts of interesting things to parts of our brain. It's a really interesting way of, uh, sort of transmitting information. I mean, it has, can have negative sides as well, but I, I value it a lot. And Gavin, I know you, you have a, a list there of, 
Yeah. Um, well, you may have to read them off for me. Um, yep. But, uh, Rich, I, I was one of the things I was thinking about as we were getting ready to have this conversation is, um, you know, a lot of times you get uh, accused of uh, clickbait. Yes. You know, and I think Edson and, you know, accused of that. <laughs> well, one of the things that I, that I was thinking about was, um, you know, you you publish so much in a day, uh, and you've covered so many different stories, and click and you know, a lot of the times what you like to use for clickbait is just a question. Just put a question in the article so people have to click on it to get the answer. And um, actually, I don't think so, that's the intention. I don't think that's the intention. Um, it's not. I don't. That's, this is when you talk about clickbait and things. I don't think that's right. Or fair in this case, I'm I'm generally trying to do things that will interest people. Um, that's. But if clickbait for me, it's always been something like you'll be disappointed. You'll click on something and not get what you expected. Um, you'll you'll get you'll get a you get a question that's posed in a certain way and you you click on it and you'd be disappointed. And that for me is is clickbait um, because you've been baited into clicking something that you would otherwise have no interest in. And I no, I I disagree with this. Um, bleeding cool. I think if we do those kind of headlines. I think we're going to deliver. I mean, if it's if it's going to, we're going to discuss the things that we're going to say we're going to discuss. Um, if there's a intriguing headline, hopefully we'll have the actual result of that intrigue on the other, other on the other end. And I think that's a big difference. And there are quite a few places that will totally do clickbait. Um, and uh, I mean, occasionally if it's you know if it's a joke, I'll accept it. If it's funny to do it that way, then, then, then maybe that's acceptable. But no, I I would disagree. I, I don't think we do clickbait. Uh, but again, it might depend on your definition. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a uh, a good point, and so it makes me wonder: uh, Are you able to differentiate your headlines from other sites? And well, I've compiled a list of questions or a list of headlines uh, between your sites, between you know Bleeding Cool, uh, a lot of, you know some of the stuff you've written over the years, and some of the stuff from the other sites. And I want to see if you can uh, differentiate which oh, ones you wrote. Yeah, I think it's uh, these ones that I wrote are the ones that Joe Jude wrote because you know. That might be something else. I think I don't know. I mean, give it a go. I, I'll have no idea. Let's give it a try. Sounds fun. <laughs> All right, first one. Uh, Marvel Comics involvement with the inauguration of President Trump? Question mark. Well, that sounds like me. It is. Yeah, that yeah. was that was yeah. definitely I mean, one of uh, yours. Yeah. Ike Perlmutter and, and Laura, Laura Perlmutter being on the inauguration committee. Absolutely. I would not call that clickbait, clickbait at all. That that's bang on. How about uh, did the whispers just arrive on The Walking Dead? Uh, that doesn't sound like me because it's The Walking Dead TV show, I guess, and I don't, I haven't been watching that for a little while, so I'm going to say no. That's right. That's comicbook.com. Right. That was that was comicbook.com, and that was that was uh, textbook clickbait because I remember I, I made fun of that article. Because it says it literally asks, did they arrive? And the answer to it is probably not. Yeah, now see that that there we go. If the answer if the answer actually is, some people say if there's any headline with a question, then the answer is no. And I fundamentally disagree with that. But if the answer in the actual article itself is no, then yeah, that that that's clickbait. <laughs> it's right. not even funny. If it was if it was entertaining clickbait, if it was funny, then that, right. I, I, I think I can I'd probably excuse it or even do it myself maybe. But no, you're right. That that's that's something else. Yeah. Will Marvel? Right, uh, oh, go for it. Yeah, will Marvel cancel Old Man Logan before the Logan movie comes out? Now that was me. That definitely <laughs> was me. That sounds mo oh. just like me. Um, it was looking at some of the uh, the, the scheduling stuff, and the solicitations, looking at the dates when things are coming out. Yeah, that, that sounds definitely like me. But hopefully, we did actually discuss that actual question. We didn't do a probably not. We was looking at the various 
uh, different indicators and looking at Marvel's past performance and the way they've related to other uh, media properties. So yeah, that does sound like me. That one was yeah, that one was you. Cool. So 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 far it's, it seems like you can recognize what is and isn't you. I'm wondering if we're going to be able to find one that oh, wait. that you don't remember because I'm honestly I'm honestly surprised because I know in the the few articles I've written. It's like people – like I'll see a headline, and I think I've even seen a headline randomly clicked on it and be like, oh, wait, I wrote this. <laughs> Do you uh, ever have that moment? No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I kind of know my head. I mean the thing is I like my headlines, and I fully kind of know them. Quite well, there have been some people who can do my do me quite nicely, and that's quite fun to see other people uh, parody me. Um, uh, that has happened before. I know Gail Simone did that many years ago, and, and she kind of got me bang on. And um, oh, there's an, a novelist who put me in, in one, one of her novels, um, The Tenth Circle, I think it was, and she had a really she had me down pat. I had about four or five of my headlines, and they were just completely fictitious. And I looked at them so. All. Now I wrote what are them. the signatures of a of a Rich Johnston headline? <sighs> I'm not particularly sure. It's um, often I, I like headlines that kind of like defeat themselves in some ways, that kind of question <laughs> themselves. I like if there's a if there's a good joke in a headline in itself, I quite like those certain ways of phrasing, I guess. Um, I, I like kind of like a intentionally clumsy, awkward headline. Um, that can often sometimes be mistaken for an actual clumsy, awkward headline. I know, but um, I, I do like the ones that are at least aware of it. Okay, good segue. Um, so. Moving on from the, the, the clickbait headline thing, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, the very public feuds that you've been involved in over the years. Um, oh, it's, okay, go uh, on. Just a little bit. I, we, we won't go too deep into it, but, but there's there seems to be a sect or a, a segment of the comic book community and usually it seems that uh, it, it's, it's, it's comic book leadership, publisher leadership, that sort of thing, that that really has a problem with the way that you do things. Um, first, before we get into specifics, why do you think that is? Why do people have a problem with the way that you report? Oh, I think that's quite common um, in any industry about people who report on the industry or the sector. I think that's. I think, I think that, that that should they should have a problem. I think that's. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean you, you you tell me a politician that doesn't have problems with people writing about what they're up to, reporters writing about their politics. It's just the way people should have a problem with the people who report on them, because each everyone will see themselves in a very idealistic fashion, and they will believe that what they're doing is right and correct, and they will also have loyalty to their friends and on a, on a, on a friendship level. That's absolutely. So um, if you find someone who writes in a different direction or even criticizes themselves or one of their friends, of course they're going to have a problem. Um, it's it's the people they don't have a problem with. That's 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 when you should be start asking questions. But to have a problem with someone who's reports on your industry, yes, that that should be expected. That should be the norm. So it should not be the exception. So on several occasions, there have been people who have reached out to you directly in some public fashion about reports that you've done and yeah. questioned you publicly about them. And you've never hesitated Good. to respond in kind. Um, the most recent example that I can think of uh, uh, is Bill Jemis. Um, and, of course, <laughs> you and Bill have a very uh, storied history uh, as you go back yes. in terms of uh, him uh, 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 putting you on blast, you reporting on the things that he's doing. Um, what what 
what do you think about Bill in general? Uh, and what um, what do you think uh, makes him tick? And what, why, why do you think you, you have the, the ability to get under his skin the way you do? Well, I didn't know I was. Um, I think so. I don't really know that. I mean, I don't really know how I've come over to, to Bill at all um, because I'm not there in the office when the uh, emails come in or the articles come through. Um, I mean, I can see some things that have happened as a result. And you can think, oh, well, that clearly touched a nerve. So, for example, when we were reporting um, the, the leaks from a, a Marvel insider who went by the name of Felicia about all the various nut bar things he was up to at Marvel, um, and they were kind of come through to me, and we'd report them. And then we'd hear that um, the Marvel staff all had a big Christmas party, and while they were away, security went through every single person's computer trying to find out who it was um, who was leaking stuff to me. Um, then you think, oh, maybe it is having an effect, I suppose. Gosh. Um, but no, really, I, I don't know the effect. I mean, you could tell me, but I don't really know the effect that um, the stuff I was writing about Bill would have on him. Well, I just, I, what I really wanted was to get an idea of what your impression is of him, especially after the last, um, the last articles that came out uh, and, and on the, the Double Take website, he kind of came after you, and there was yeah. a little bit of a back and forth. There was. Well, basically, it's clearly I was trying to do an interview with him at some point. And he decided to turn it into an interview about me or trying to throw a bunch of odd, interesting stuff. And it wasn't a game I was willing to play, especially since he wasn't actually asking, uh, answering the questions about Double Take that I was asking. Um, so, yeah, but that was I just saw that him as just kind of like playing them, playing with the media, just seeing what he could get away with. I didn't have any kind of antipathy towards him for that. He was just he was wanting to play a different game and I wanted to play I wasn't going to play with him, but I wasn't any. There was no kind of uh, anger or hatred or dislike to him for that. It was just an understanding of what he was doing and trying to point out exactly what he was doing here. Um, it's almost it, okay. I I'd hate to make this comparison, but I'm going to know because if you took away all the nasty stuff, he's he sometimes does what Donald Trump does, which he tries to play the media and just tries to distract people by playing the media in a certain way and parodying the media so that they then start talking about other things. And what I was trying to do was keep talking about the same things that I'd been previously talking about and trying not to be distracted by his games. I say it's an, it's an unfortunate um, comparison to make these days, I guess. But I think he was doing just that. He was just that's what he's always seemed to do. He's just trying to play the media back. Uh, that's a double take back in the days of Marvel. He was um, and I think he was very good at it. Um, sometimes I didn't want to play or I wanted to play a different game. Are there other people uh, in in comics journalism that or comics journalism in comics that uh, that you've uh, had public issues with before, uh, you know, other than Bill? Oh, things come out mm-hmm. uh, every now and then. Someone has a big go at someone. Um, the, th- the people I really target, I think, um, negatively are probably the con men. So it's people like Josh Hoops, people like Pat Lee, um, people who actually. Um, uh, destroy people like that, and that uh, I, I would say that that's different. But some people I'll have disagreements with and arguments with, and they'll have an in, in, uh, problem with me as well, and we may argue the, the case. So there's people like Dan Slott and uh, Mark Wade and folk like that. But I don't have any particular animosity on my side towards sure. them at all. Sure, they will have a different take. <laughs> <laughs> and now that we mentioned now that we mentioned Dan's name, we know that he'll be listening. So again, hi Dan. That, again, I don't I, I don't have a problem with that either. People do that again. Oh, you just mentioned Dan slightly might reply to you. Well, that yeah. If you if you're publishing, if you're when you're on Twitter and you tweet <laughs> something out, you are publishing it. Yes. Just as much as it was, if it was a novel or as a film, 
And I have no problem with someone like Dan or anyone uh, replying to that. That sounds like you should expect it. If you if you go out and you criticise someone publicly in a published article, then having someone responding to that, maybe uh, correcting you or disagreeing with you, you should expect that. And so for people to kind of go along and saying, oh, I can't believe Dan, now Dan's listening. Well, yes. And I argue it would be the same with you. If you if you found out you discovered that someone was traducing your name somewhere or saying all sorts of stuff about you, you may also wish to reply. And I don't think um, someone like Dan should be... Um, critique just for that oh certainly not no and and it certainly doesn't uh hurt your business either well yeah, that, that, i don't think that's even an, an issue for what i'm saying here i think on a, on, a, on an ethical point of view here mm-hmm. um yeah if you if you slag someone off of the internet you then have no right to object when they object or when they reply to, or they, they simply reply to you and say no that's wrong you go, oh, how can you reply to me? I was just posting this on the internet, and now you're targeting me. No, that's not you targeted them, and now they've replied, and that's fine. So yeah, I've got no problem with, with Dan doing anything like that, and it's I, 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 if anything, I have a problem with the people who have a problem with him. Oh, certainly, I, I think, and I think this kind of goes into what we talked about a little bit before about how everybody likes a rumor, everybody likes gossip, everybody likes drama. Right. So well, not everybody. Li- not everybody likes. No, L- lots of people I do. But I'm, I'm quite happy, and I'm. It's a very, it's a very valid position to take that you don't like um, gossip, and that's fine. And there are some great uh, people I, I know who have that pos- position, and I don't. I wouldn't wish to debate them on that point because that's their point of view, and it's a valid one. There are some um, who don't like one kind, but do like another. That, but then that's just general human hypocrisy, and that's all over the place. Interesting. So we we talked a little bit last week about um, some of the more insidious sorts of news that 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 came out of DC and a couple of other publishers over the last year, uh, specifically uh, the alleged sexual harassment at DC with Eddie Berganza. I would uh, I would argue that it's it's not alleged. And also, I reported on this years ago, and no one seemed to care. Um, but now suddenly they do. But anyway, yeah, right. it's not alleged because the, uh, the the specific, the very specific and public instance happens um, to uh, someone who then worked for Bleeding Cool. Um, no, it's well, I, and the day it happened, I got. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna sexually assault fast someone, don't do it in a comic book uh, convention hotel lobby with everyone in comics all standing around you, and who are then all got their mobile phones who can then send a message to Rich Johnston because I woke up to. Must have been twenty or more emails about it. So, yeah, there's, there, there, there's, there's, I guess, I'm not, not saying there's a time and a place for sexual harassment, but you know, you, you shouldn't expect that kind of thing to go hidden. And that's, and that's what I wanted to segue into a little bit is, is, what do you think the media's role is or responsibility is in something like this when, when this goes down? We talked last week about. Uh, how it, it seems to be that when another case of this pops up every single time, um, the media likes to report on it for about two weeks, and then it just goes away. Nobody talks about it anymore because it's not something that people want to talk about because, you know, the new book is coming out or the it, whatever. It, there's just not a prolonged um, spotlight shown on the problem. And, you know, D.C. is harboring and uh, i will say alleged because i don't want to get us in trouble alleged sexual harasser i would not i I wouldn't say harboring here's the other thing um because again this is this is stories that we've reported on if we're talking about someone like eddie Baganza, Mm -hmm. this is someone who has been as a result 
of his actions has been through uh, Warner Brothers uh, Human Resources. Um, the, 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 basically, the stuff you do, the, the, the courses you have to go on, the, the admonishment you have to take. He has, he was. Um, remember, he, after these, all this stuff came out, he was demoted to a level that has cost him, in financial terms, high six figures. Now, um, he went through the human resources uh, procedures, which I don't know if you know anyone at Warner Brothers, but the very concept terrifies people so much because it's incredibly rigorous. Um, now, and, and, and Dece, but after all this, Warner Brothers made this decision. Um, now, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to uh, in any way kind of reduce what happened, but to say that he's like be, be harboring someone who's a threat to other people, or this is someone that hasn't had any kind of punishments or any kind of admonishment, is is false. Um, it, it's 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 something that, that that was taken on by the company. It was something that was uh, very much addressed. Now. Some people may will argue it should it should the person be in a position at all, um, and that's you know that's again that, that's down to warners. You can make that decision uh, based on what they've done. But it's again it's you, you get these people and they they come up with these there, there are only there's any black, black and white there's any extreme versions of things that should happen. Either he has got away with everything scot free, laughing all the way, or he should be um, uh, fired immediately. And um, I think I think this this when it comes down to people, there there are there are uh, fuzzier areas fuzzier with, with this kind of thing so it, it kind of gets caricatured i guess by a lot of the media one way or the other and i think um, there's always going to be um different levels of, de- of, de- of a debate within this kind of thing if that makes any kind of sense it's... i mean again we have reported on this this is all stuff that uh briefing call has um reported on we're the first to report we've continued to report and we've um and, and we will continue to report on other aspects both with this specific case and with others Right. I was gonna, Go ahead. Tim. Something we touched on last week, um, and I think is a, a huge problem in, I mean, comics, the journalism industry, um, is that a lot of the ad revenue from sites like Newsarama and CBR come from the big two, and they can't be constantly running those type of articles. So they they touch on it for a week or two when it becomes breaking news, but then they just kind of move on from it. Um, yes, probably. But again, I also, I also argue against um, constantly turning every story into that story, which I've seen other websites do as well. They can't. Um, it was like when um, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> when uh, Shelley Bond um, was made redundant from DC. For, for a number of websites, that was another excuse to talk about Eddie Paganza. And actually, at the time, I thought it was a bit more of a should be more of a chance to talk about Shelley Bond. And I, I was a bit ashamed that a lot of the coverage of her work. At DC, and and the reason she was go- she, she was she was left where we could have glossed over, so people could have another go at uh, Eddie Paganza. Um, so I, I know I, I think he can swing, but I can swing swing the other way as well. Absolutely. That that kind of leaves the door open for uh, what my next question was. I I've had uh, some experience with uh, the backside of of this whole thing with with advertising with with websites and and that sort of thing, and. Uh, I've I've dealt with with Bleeding Cool uh, and in one way or another Avatar Press as a result. Um, I've dealt with CBR. I've dealt with you know pretty much everybody. From your perspective, is there something broken in the way that most comic book news outlets handle advertising? Oh, uh, not as bad as it used to be. 
because back in the day of Wizard magazine, it was <laughs> so tied to coverage. It was ridiculous. I don't believe it's as bad as, 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 as the height of Wizard. There are going to be some issues. I'm sure some people will threaten to pull advertising or will pull advertising and some websites won't do things because of advertising concerns. But this is, first of all, this is not a new thing. And it used to be a lot worse than it is now. One of the nice things, because there are a lot more publishers and, and, and also mm-hmm. more people who are interested in advertising to comic book people. Right. That's less of an issue if Marvel pulls the advertising because that's okay because Disney still wants to. Right. Um, I mean, okay, for example, Marvel and DC, they don't advertise on Bleeding Cool. That's fine. Uh, I don't think we've, I don't think we'd expect them to. Um, however, you know, uh, Warners and Disney do from time to time, depending on their project. Um, I don't see that as any kind of contradiction, but there are, when it comes to advertising, there's a lot more opportunities out there. I don't think it's advertising as much. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, I'm sure someone like Bill, Bill Tibbers would most definitely have pulled that, feels like he might have pulled advertising over coverage. But it, again, how much, there wasn't a lot of advertising in the, in the long run coming from that company. Um, I would, what was I? Um, what, what's much more uh, interesting is, I think, um, cooperation over stories. Because it's all down a lot of the time. It seems to be to the which sites get exclusives and which don't, and that gets uh, a lot of favoritism played. I think that's that's where um, the companies control the websites more. It's not through the advertising; it's due to the arranged editorial scoops. Because those are the things that bring in traffic. A good a good story like that from Marvel or DC can bring in a lot of nice big traffic, which you can then sell the advertising clicks to whoever. Um, and I see that as being a little bit, little bit more insidious here. Then again, it also changes how that story then gets reported. Um, there's, some, there's some good examples of people who haven't gone that way. Uh, I remember, I think it was Fast Co-Create, when they were given the, well, I mean, we, we had run the story, but the, the proper scoop of Before Watchmen that really was happening. They got all the big information about all the books that were coming out from DC from Before Watchmen. And so it was theirs to, to, to break as a special exclusive. And, that, and so they decided, well, this is good. What does Alan Moore think about it? So they called Alan Moore up and he castigated DC Comics and he talked about um, their, their roles in creating contracts and how he felt incredibly um, conned by DC. And, um, and, that, and that's basically the story they ran, which is basically DC are doing this before Watchmen thing. Alan Moore thinks it's terrible and this is why. And that caused a huge reaction at DC. And the word from uh, Fasco Creator that got back to me, I think it was, is that DC saw the websites they were talking to as extensions of their own uh, PR companies and just an extension of what their their PR was doing. And if someone was doing that, well, they basically wanted to fire them as if they were an employee. I've seen various um, documents and things that described the uh, websites that run like arranged stories, things like that, as DC's media partners. Again, that's how they see them. And you can tell, by the way, you can tell the list. Whenever they put out a list of... um, Previews, previews for this week's comics have appeared at these comic, these websites, and they give a nice big list. Those are DC's media par- partners, and according to them, and those are the ones that they feel happy enough from a PR perspective that might as well be employees of DC Comics. That's that's for me. It's not. It's never to do, do about the advertising. It's to do about the coverage. Brilliant. I it, speaking of coverage, and this is a question I've been wanting to ask you for a long time. Uh, and 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 anytime we meet, it, it always seems to be another topic that comes up. But spoilers. Yes. Um. I, I I'm gonna preface this with a personal story. 
I uh, stopped reading DC Comics uh, six or seven years ago. Uh, right after New 52 launched, uh, I couldn't. It, 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 I just stopped. I couldn't do it anymore. When I read the article that you ran uh, about uh, Rebirth with the uh, the Watchmen pin spoiler uh, on Bleeding Cool, yes, it made me go, I'm going to go and buy this book. And now I subscribe to four DC books every week, or you know every every other week. So from my perspective, when a spoiler is that big, and I have the choice whether or not to click and find out what's going on, it's probably going to lead to me buying the book. I understand the the flip side of that and why creators would get upset, but at the end of the day, isn't it just helping sales? Like, what is your perspective on uh, someone in your position putting up spoilers? Does it hurt the creator, or is it is it best for business? I think it all depends, both on the spoiler, how it's presented, when it's presented, uh, and in what fashion. Um, the ones you're talking about specifically, now that was a spoiler that ran on Reddit. And this actually mm-hmm. goes in a bit what we're right. talking about, about arranging coverage. Uh, DC Comics basically sent out advanced copies of um, that comic, as a, as a print version, I think it was, um, to a bunch of um, reviewers, journalists, people that they'd arranged coverage with. And it was all embargoed, I think, for... I think it was the, the Monday or the Tuesday before it had been published. Correct. So, by the way, it would all have been spoiled anyway. Right. Before, public, before exactly. it came out. There's no way they wouldn't have run that on, on... So that would have all come out anyway. But some guy on Reddit decided to put it up early. It's specifically the page with the um, the Batman button, with the, with the Watchmen button. And, um, yeah, and, and Bleeding Call was the one who re-reported that. And we weren't, you know, we weren't alone. Um, but I think it was because Bleeding Call ran it then it, that DC then said, okay, embargo's off, anyone could run things. Um, that's what I've been told, anyway. Uh, but for something like that, very specifically, I think that wasn't just a spoiler for a story. That wasn't, this is how the story ends. That was something newsworthy. And for me, that's different. I mean, I'm, it still needs to be, from my perspective, it still needs to be covered by spoiler warnings. But once it becomes actual news, something that is going to be headlines as a result, then um, I think that becomes something else. And if I learn about it, however I learn about it, then, yeah, it's probably going to become a story one way or another. Um, depending on how big a story it is or its implications, that might be something I'll run when I get or something I'll run on Wednesday morning. Because that's the other thing. I'll often save uh, if it's a good news mm-hmm. story, but I'll, I'll often save that till a, till a Wednesday morning or even afternoon or whatever, um, just because of how it, 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 when it becomes actual news, then I'm going to run new, when when it is news because that's what it is, even though it's also a spoiler. Some people say, oh, you wouldn't spoil the end of a certain film or this that you wouldn't just run that as a, as anything. No, I probably wouldn't unless it was actually news. If I don't know if, um, the um, film Man the Moon, if you actually had the actual Andy Kaufman appear the final scene back from the dead and it actually was him <laughs> it would have yes. yes i'd have run that as a new story of course uh anyway, if, if you had a surprise guest stunt appears at the, at the end of a film and it's you know something people thought was dead or was not not even in the film or something surprising then yeah that actually might w- work as a new story you still need to preserve spoilers i would argue but something like johnny depp in fantastic beast i think that right. was actually uh, a new story because yep. of what had been happening with johnny depp at the time it was very interesting that they went that way and so i think that is a genuine and reportable news story um, but again, I would always run that kind of thing, considering it's the end of a film or that kind of thing. You run it with a, you run it with a spoiler. And so we, so we, we, we 
again, it, it, a lot of the time it comes down to making that judgment call. It can be tricky. I'm not saying I always get it right. But some that I think I did was, we're talking, actually, with the first um, D, uh, DC New 52, when it was um, the Joker's face nailed up on the wall um, in Detective Comics issue one. Um, and that became such a big thing that to kind of define the character for so much now spun off into the TV, into the Gotham and thing. I, I, and I ran that as a, as a news story. And um, I think even possibly the day before, the day of it coming out. And I think I was just, I was very justified in doing so. Not everyone was happy with me at the time for doing that. But um, yeah, I, I think I was right about that. And you, so you do get these things. If it's, again, it, it all comes down to a judgment call. I have to be doing this for a very long time, I guess. And you have to make the, the idea, well, well is the helm... How many people is it going to piss off compared to how many people is it going to interest? Um, I don't know. It's it's something that I have to come up with and look at every week, especially with comic books. Does it? And we, we, we did it with uh, we did it with Secret Empire. We knew something was coming. Right. They, the Secret Empire being in um, Civil War Two: The Oath. Now, no one was going to buy Civil War Two: The Oath. Really? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Civil War Two. Yes. Let, and we'd had Nick Spencer, who'd been castigated on the internet. For um, for his, this radical idea that you shouldn't just walk up to people in the street and punch them. Um, as a result, he was as he was a pariah because of this. It was kind of this was a book that no one was going to read, and it was the most important book to, in terms of of what Marvel were up to. Um, it's been published for months. So yes, we we pointed out that you might actually want to buy this, and this was why. Um, we we didn't we didn't run the whole spoilers. We didn't um, again. Uh, spoiler warnings. There were there were other aspects of that story that could have been headlines or whatever, but that wasn't the news. So we didn't run those. Not at least until after it had been published. So, um, again, it's all about making a judgment call. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying I always get it right, but I'm certainly aware... That's it. I'm, I'm aware of the issues. I'm aware of people's issues with spoilers. I'm aware of people's um, uh, issues with me running them. <laughs> call. And I, I, his thing, we're not just running stuff willy-nilly. We're trying to take care... Pay attention and serve the buying public. Does it ever get to you? The 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 criticism, the 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 people, you know, especially creators going on. I, I remember the hubbub after I, I think I I think I even got into it with Dan Slott on Twitter about it not taking money out of anyone's pocket. Um, but does it for anybody does it ever get to you? Does it ever wear you down? I'm not saying it doesn't affect me. It can get getting annoying, and certainly when I get into a big kind of Twitter fight that can le- keep me up until three or four in the morning, then yeah, that, that possibly might have got to me a little. Um, but I used to work in advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to work under a creative director. I used to be a copywriter working under creative directors. Mm-hmm. And once you've had that, you know, once you've had that, yeah, you, know, you can take <laughs> anything from anyone. Uh, I think a big theme of the podcast as we move forward is going to be about the plight of comic book retail, uh, not only in the United States yes. or North America, but in, in the world. And yes, I agree. I think, I think you have a, a very unique perspective on uh, on the retail problem. You're one of the only people out there reporting it. it I think now, uh, just in the last week or two, Newsarama has started a, a kind of series on this sort of thing, but... Uh, you've been covering it um, consistently on a weekly basis for yeah, and, and continue, years and, and years and years. It's, it's, a, it's a big focus right now. There's definitely some, some major issues in the industry right now, and we're hoping to keep, keep abreast of them. Right. So um, uh, I've, I've worked directly with many, many, many retailers, hundreds, and, and 
and I'm f- personal friends with uh, dozens. Um, and and what I keep hearing is just that there's there's no there there anymore. Um, DC and Marvel are refusing to spend money where it counts, which is in in retail. And on the flip side of things, a lot of retailers are completely unwilling to hand sell books. So from your perspective, what's the answer? And I know that's a really, really hard question, but we're going to speculate on this week after week, right. and I'd really like your opinion. I believe that publishers need to invest in retail. Um, there's also, I mean, okay, I, I mean, I'm intrigued by Dennis Barger's um, move to create a kind of a charity to help support retailers in trouble. I don't think that should be um, the shouting that I think actually the publishers should get involved themselves in helping retailers more than they do. I don't just mean uh, free uh, overships of the titles for, for a month. <laughs> um, there are many measures. I mean, the thing is, there are measures that publishers are more likely to do. There are people who are no longer in comics who had a better handle on things. People like Bob Wayne, I would say, at DC Comics, uh, an ex-retailer um, who was working at that level at DC, he had a far better understanding of what actually retailers needed from uh, the big publishers than anyone I've known. Um, and it was amazing to see him him work a room, that kind of thing. So it's, I would like to see people like more people like those working for the publishers. Um, there we go. How about that then? Re- retailers working for publishers, hired by publishers, and retailers for, uh, publishers finding the, 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 We're talking about Marvel and DC, to be fair, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, investing in retailers and helping them out. Because this is the, this is the thing for me, is... Um, this is what's always said to me. If sales drop by 10%, say, you don't lose 10% of retailers. You lose 50% of retailers. Correct. Because too many of them are on that edge. That if all sales suddenly dropped away by a chunk, it would take out a swathe of retailers. And when you do that, you're undercutting the base of those comic book publishers themselves. So because that's the other thing. When a comic book shop closes... Its customers don't just go to another comic book shop. Eighty percent of them stop reading comics, mm-hmm. and it's imperative for the publishers to create. If, they, if they're pushing, the, if, they, if they're if they, the direct market is where they see their business at, which they do. I mean, the, the majority of the comic book sales are still through the direct market. Um, then they then they need to find ways to invest in those retailers, help them out far more than they are. Um, in a, in, I mean, in a, in a direct financial fashion, because that will then um, help help themselves. And it's a, it's a pure, it should be a purely selfish act. I think publishers are looking too sh- too sh- too much short termism right now. Um, it's all about turning that month's numbers, that quarter's numbers, getting things out for the quarter to make their figures look good, without looking at the longer term aspects of the market. And with that, we are that close. We are that close. If there's a drop, you will lose so much. And once it goes, it doesn't come back. Well, That's it, a, yeah, it seems that every week we see another article on your website about another comic shop closing. Just this week, I'm it opening. was. I like to point out we do also. I don't want to be a, say I'm a total doom and gloom. Oh here. no, There's no. Articles on shops opening as well. There's a really <laughs> fun comic shop called Geeks Out. We're doing a piece on uh, shortly, and they look fantastic. And so I really want to put, talk about shops opening. I'd much rather talk about shops opening than closing. Just right now, this means be more than closing. Um, and, and also, I mean, the, before I, mean, I think Hastings also mm. caused a lot of problems that we're only really seeing 
um, because of the amount of debt that was owed to Diamond and all the people that Diamond then owed as a result, that caused, as far as I can tell, um, less wiggle room. So suddenly Diamond were much more demanding of debt from their smaller customers. They just lost a massive chunk of change that they, they had to get all the rest of the money in. Well, and, so a, that, well, and, so, and that kind of put pressure on certain retailers and some retailers closed. Yeah, and well, there's that, a positive that came out of Hastings too. Darren Hutchinson opened a store, so oh, you know, there you go. A, a people, yeah, that's true. And people found they could get some comic book shelves quite cheaply as well. Mm-hmm. But um, no, uh, over, overall, that gave that that put the jitters up Diamond, and Diamond put those jitters onto the re- other retailers, and some retailers couldn't take that. It's a it's a really interesting kind of triumvirate of uh, everybody needing to get their houses in order at the same time yeah. to fix it. I mean, you have you have Diamond, which huh, I've been on both sides of this thing now, and it's it's a nightmare for everyone except for Marvel, DC, and potentially Image. It's a I mean, from from a, from well, the distribution I mean, perspective, very few people know exactly how the comic book industry was saved by Walking Dead. We've mentioned this a few times, I believe, in Cool, but there was a time when Diamond would have gone down if it wasn't for The Walking Dead, and Image st- keeping their book sales through Diamond. When Marvel and DC took their book sales elsewhere, Image has stuck with theirs with Diamond. And there was a point when, I think it was one in every two books that was being sold to the book trade by Diamond was The Walking Dead. Um, without them, that, again, Diamond Books might have taken down Mr. Diamond. That was a time when Steve Geppi was under massive financial strain, um, all sorts of court cases, and and, and debts being laid, and now it's a lot. It's not a lot better situation. Uh, I just want to say, you know, all praise to The Walking Dead for saving the the current comic book industry, or something like that. Again, it's one of those little stories that doesn't get talked about a lot. But yeah, it, this, again, if there's a point, it's it's that it's a fragile, it's a fragile creature. There's all sorts of things that have to happen for the comic book industry as we know it in America and etc. To, to survive. And to date, they have mostly happened. Um, but if one other, if one thing can go wrong, it can take down so much more. Rich, I, I really appreciate you taking the time that you took with us today. Uh, uh, clearly, you're a busy guy, and there's a big time oh, difference. Anytime. So anytime. Uh, uh, very very nice of you to join us. Um, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll catch up again down the road. Look forward to it. Cool. Thanks again to our old friend Rich Johnston for joining the show this week. It was a great interview with a great guy. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, please uh, head on over to our website. It's thepanelcast.com, and go ahead and uh, leave your uh, comments. Tell us what you thought of the show. And you can also head over to iTunes and, and you know subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear what you think of the show so far. And the more you subscribe, you know the, the higher we go in those rankings. So uh, one day we'll be... Uh, a real serious podcast. Uh, so head on over there. You can head over to SoundCloud as well and like us on SoundCloud. Uh, and that way you'll be notified every time uh, we drop a new episode. So it's soundcloud.com slash thepanelpodcast. Reach out to us on the Twitter machine. It's at thepanelcast. And uh, I think that's it. That's all our social media, right? I think you can find us on Facebook too. You can search for The Panel Podcast. Just look for that big orange microphone. Uh, For Tim Madura and Gavin Dillinger, it's Hank McCoy, and we'll see you next week.